Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. This is Pastor Julie Lewis from Asbury United Methodist Church in Smyrna, Delaware, where we share the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ in all we do. Good morning, it's Pastor Julie, and today we are in Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and also those in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some say, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him. Though indeed he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring." Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead." When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, We will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them. But some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Next Sunday is Pentecost, the birthday of the church. Just as the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ were key events in history, so that was the day the church was born by the power of the Holy Spirit. But something else happened that day. A new faith came into being. While there were many different religions at that time, many God, different gods being worshipped, the God of the Jews was considered the one true God by many. And it is this same God that Christians believe, and we just also believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who is God in the flesh. Because the followers of the way, what Christians were called then, had a different view of God, albeit the same God, 
there was a definite split between Christians and Jews, and it wasn't always amicable. This different belief, different faith caused persecution, arrests, imprisonments, acts of violence, shunning, family breakups, murder, and even war. Then around 700 CE, Muhammad was receiving the first revelation from Allah of the Quran, which is known by Muslims as the night of power. This gave birth to Islam, and these three faiths, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, have had issues getting along ever since. I had the amazing privilege of going to Israel while I was in seminary, seeing all the places I'd only read about in the Bible were truly life-changing. We also got to see the holy places important to these three faiths. The most interesting things, thing is that they are all practically on top of one another. We went one day to the Temple Mount, so-called by the Jews. First, we went up to the top level where the Dome of the Rock or the Al-Aqsa Mosque is located. This is Islam's holiest site. Faithful Muslims make a pilgrimage to this site at least once in their lifetime. The huge gold dome is seen from miles around and sits right on top of where Solomon's Temple, the holiest site for Jews, used to be. The only part of Solomon's Temple that remains is the foundation of the Western Wall, also known as the Wailing Wall. Here, Jews gather to pray every day, leaving their written prayers in the cracks between the stones. Slightly off the highest part of the Temple Mount is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is one of the holiest sites for Christians, at least the Catholic ones. This one place in the center of Jerusalem is so holy because this is where Muhammad supposedly ascended into heaven from the holy rock housed inside the mosque. For Jews, it is the same rock where Abraham was set to sacrifice his son Isaac, and also the place where David pleaded with God to stop the plague that was killing the Israelites, and he saw the angel of death stop at that spot. He set up an altar there, and that was where he decided to build the temple. For Christians, it is the place where Christ was thought to have been crucified, died, and was buried. Three faiths, all converging on one spot, they each call holy and sacred. But yet, in this sacred place, a place where God is said to dwell with his people in all three faiths, the most horrendous violence has been sadly nonstop since Christ rose from the dead and Muhammad arrived in Jerusalem. And why? That's a good question. How is it that people of either faith can be so dismissive and hurtful to one another? Each of these particular faiths teach about love and mercy, treating others the way we want to be treated. <coughs> Yet we can't even seem to be in each other's presence without being downright mean sometimes not even allowing them to share our space. We can be very judgmental, believing we are the only ones who are right with God, and if anyone believes something different, then we shouldn't associate with them. But all that teaching Jesus gave us about loving our enemies and welcoming the stranger don't apply to those who have different beliefs. After all, they're condemned already, so why even bother? But we know that Christ's teaching does apply to all. When we say that we welcome all, we should remember that all means all. 
even those who don't agree with what we believe, even those who might think we're the ones already condemned or think we have an overactive imagination to have faith in something that doesn't exist. I know I've said before that God has a great sense of humor, and he proved it once again this week. As I was researching for this sermon, I looked out the window of my home office and saw two women walking down the street. They turned up the sidewalk, and I knew immediately they were Jehovah's Witnesses. So what did I do? As I was working on a sermon about welcoming people of different beliefs, I hid. I didn't have time to talk to them and really didn't want to. Understand then that I know how easy it is to be unwelcoming, and I pray I'll do better in the future. How do we welcome people with different beliefs about God? What about when our differences are not in who we worship, but how we believe we should live as Christ's disciples. There's a lot of division happening right now, just around one or two beliefs within our Methodist faith. How can we behave differently and welcome one another in the love that Christ calls us to have if we are his disciples? Well, let's see what Paul has to teach us this morning. Admittedly, This event in scripture happens long after the day of Pentecost, but we know that Jesus tells us, and especially Paul, to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Paul does exactly that, leaving Jerusalem after his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and begins to preach the good news to everyone he meets. We see that his usual way of evangelizing is to go to the synagogue in any city he enters and follow the usual way of worship of the worship of the Jews. He preaches in the synagogues and shares the gospel message to them, praying they will come to faith in Christ. Some do, some don't. After he preaches in the synagogues, he then goes to the Gentiles in the town, telling them about Jesus. Before he arrives at Athens, he has been to Thessalonica, preaching his usual way. But the Jews there weren't impressed, and they bring charges against him to get him arrested. He flees to Beria and does the same thing, but this time they seem to embrace his message, both Jews and Gentiles. The Jews of Thessalonica stir up trouble for him, though, in Beria, so his fellow believers send him to Athens. In Athens, he is waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him, so he spends a few days wandering around, getting a feel for the city. As he wanders around, He gets more and more distressed. On every corner, every street, every building, in every window, he sees some sort of idol or altar to some god. Athens is a very accommodating city and allows any god to be worshipped if the worshipper asks permission to do so. They see it as being benevolent, tolerant, inclusive. Maybe it is all that, but Paul doesn't see it that way. He is angry that people can make up gods in their own heads and think that a rock or a piece of handcrafted artwork can be seen as some sort of omnipotent God. As we know, Paul was an educated man, a well-educated man. He is formerly a Pharisee, but his Roman citizenship gave him access to incredible education opportunities. He writes and speaks very well. So he creates a strategy in order to, cre- to share the gospel message with the Athenian Gentiles to help them see the truth about Jesus Christ in a way they can relate to. 
and he begins by engaging their top leaders. He knows they love a good debate. So he goes to the marketplace where all things debatable start. He piques their interest and they take him to the Areopagus, also known as Mars Hill, where new ideas are shared and debated. People given the opportunity to speak there are more or less judged on their rhetoric or their speaking ability, even more so than their message. Scripture tells us that they love to hear about new things. They were people who followed the latest fashionable ideas and trends, sort of flavor of the month kind of people, always on the lookout for something new to try. That's one reason they had so many different gods and altars. Paul understands his audience very well, and he uses that knowledge to speak in a way that will engage them. He begins by complimenting them, or at least it sounds that way to them, about how very religious they are. Such spiritual beings that they worship gods that are even unknown to them. Then he turns that into opening the door to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. You don't know this God, but let me tell you all about him because I want you to know him. The Epicureans and the Stoics have certain beliefs, and Paul is very familiar with them too. He speaks to their ideas about the heavens and the earth, the God who created all things and the destiny of human beings. He even quotes their own poets to draw them in and not alienate them. And like everywhere else he's been, some listen and want to hear more, and some just don't. If he hasn't paid attention to how he interacted with them, though, most likely none of them would have listened. How do we handle things when we encounter someone who has different beliefs about God, the meaning of life, how to live for Jesus, or has no real beliefs at all? I think evangelism, or sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, is one of the most challenging things Jesus calls us to do, but really it shouldn't be. I think we make it harder than it should. Paul can help us with the best way to do that. But first, let's talk about some different scenarios we may see in the world today. Our best guess is that there are over 4,000 different faiths in the world at the moment. Researchers usually group them into five main faith systems. Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, or Judaism. What happens when we encounter one of those other faiths or denominations? Most of the time, what I see is tension. Our faith is very important to us. It defines who we are, how we live, how we see our purpose in life. And I think because it's so important and we've made this big decision, we have the sense that what we believe is right and what others believe is not quite right or outright wrong. And we treat people that way. For many of these faiths and denominations, to be wrong or not right with God, or whatever being they worship, being some sort of condemnation. We may not understand what they believe and wonder how they could possibly believe a lie. We may try to share our belief with the mission of saving their souls because we genuinely believe that without Jesus, they will not be in heaven when they leave this world and we don't even want to contemplate that thought. It's an act of true love and concern. Some people can be genuine in their concern, but at the same time, try to threaten or scare them into faith in Christ. You know, 
the turn or burn kind of evangelism. The world is ending soon. Are you ready? I've seen the billboards. Some of us can be frightened of other faiths. We know there are extremist groups in every faith who see unbelievers as needing to be terminated. Terrorist Muslims have made us afraid of all Muslims, or at least wary. Jews have been terrorized by both Christians and Muslims as somehow not believing the truth or as a punishment for how Jesus was treated. Even Christian denominations can treat each other with disdain and violence. In the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, the two groups that have authority over the church are both Catholic, but Orthodox Greek and Roman Catholic. And they frequently break out into fistfights. It's sad. Protestants will badmouth Catholics. Jehovah's Witnesses will badmouth Seventh-day Adventists. And we have the same thing going on in the Methodist Church with what are called traditionalists and progressives. We're not very nice to one another, and we're supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ. So what do we do? In his final moments with his disciples, Jesus tells them and us the answer. Love one another. They will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus lets himself be persecuted, unfairly tried and convicted, nailed to a cross. And why? To give us all, all means all, salvation. To free us from all the ways we sinfully treat one another. He tells us to love our enemies, to pray for them, to share what we have with them, but most importantly, to love them. This means welcoming them with the same hospitality that Christ himself demonstrated while on the earth. It means seeing all people, no matter what they believe or don't believe, as people Jesus loved enough to die for. It means that if they come into our presence, we are not to judge them, thump Bibles at them, try to scare them into believing what we believe is right, but to show them hospitality, to be their friend, if at all possible. Paul reminds us in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Abraham was set apart to become a great nation that would be a light to the world. Acts 13, 47 tells us, for the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have set you to be a light for the Gentiles so that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. How can we do that? So people will listen to what we have to say. First, to be welcoming means to stop judging. Everyone's faith journey is different, and we have no idea how they got there. Let them share that journey without telling them they have it wrong. Know what you believe and why, so that we can, as we read in 1 Peter 3, always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an account of the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. St. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. How we live and how we welcome the stranger or those with different beliefs will show how Jesus has changed our lives and open their hearts and minds to hear the good news, the truth of who Jesus is for everyone. 
We don't need to have a mission to change their hearts and minds, only to share the love of Christ until the whole world knows. Only God and the Spirit know when and how the truth will be revealed to someone. Can we live and work together side by side, even with different beliefs, until that sweet day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? It is our job to live out our faith in love. How we treat one another will reveal what we believe about how Jesus calls us to live. We will stand before God one day, and then we will know what good we have done. A pastor I heard speak recently had her church in New York catch fire a few years ago. Next door was a synagogue. That synagogue opened its doors to let them use their space for worship. It's been going on for two years. And they do ministry together in the neighborhood, support one another in their faith, and have changed hearts and minds for Christ and for God. What if we could all just love one another, welcome one another without trying to change who they are or by passing judgment without understanding who they are and how they got to where they are in faith? God will make a way to lead all people to the truth. Sometimes it will be through our words and actions, but sometimes not. Share the good news to all by how we live and how we love. Stand firm in your faith by walking with your brothers and sisters in the name and love of Jesus Christ. Let's not fight about our faith. Love our brothers and sisters without condition and without fear. Then the kingdom will grow as we welcome all in the love of Christ. Amen.